Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. We are in this family series today. I want to talk to you. The, the title of my sermon is No Withered Hand. I know that sounds a little weird. I'm going to talk about what I mean by that. Uh, how many of y'all would agree that hands are pretty important, all right? Like, you, you don't realize how important your hand is until you can't use it. Like, if you've ever had it injured or you had surgery on it or anything like that, I mean, it, it, it's tough. Like, I, I know there was one time I dislocated my elbow and had to have my, my right arm in a, a cast for a while and having to learn how to do everything with my left hand, which I'm ambidextrous, so it's not really quite the same, but, but it was difficult. It's hard when you don't have the function of your hands. Hands are pretty important in, in a lot of our careers, obviously. Uh, sports, hands are pretty important, right? You got to have quick hands. In baseball, quick hands will help you hit a walk-off homer against Ole Miss. Come on now. Thank you, Lord. Go Hawks. Uh, or, or you got to have strong, powerful hands if you're a boxer. Sugar Ray Leonard, come on, give it up for him. Uh, he's, he was the best, in my opinion, just saying. Some of you are like, I don't care about boxing. That's fine. Basketball, those guys got some mitts, right? you got to have big hands to play basketball. I had a, a youth uh, pastor growing up. He used to play professional basketball for the Phoenix Suns back in the 80s. And I remember he was just, he was huge. Like, when you shake his hand, you, your hand would just disappear, like, it's just like you feel just like a little tiny child when you're around him because he was just massive. Y'all heard about uh, Traylon Burke's hands, right? This guy, four XL hands, four, that's four X's, okay? His hands are so big, they don't make gloves that big. Like Nike is going to have to special make his gloves. But how many of y'all know that helps when you're a receiver to have hands that are that big or work, you know, if you got calloused hands, like if you ever met somebody, you shook their hand, it's like shaking a, a, a leather bag, you know. Those are the people that are like ranchers and farmers, construction workers, guys that work concrete, man. Your hands get beat up when you work concrete. Mechanics, car mechanics, those guys' hands are strong, and they don't know it. You shake a car mechanic's hand, they will break you, and they won't even know it. They, they just hurt you. Hands are pretty important. Now, I've, I've worked some manual labor jobs over the course of my life. I've, 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 I know how to work hard, but in recent years, like, like, I don't have dainty hands. Like, I've never gotten, like, a manicure, okay? And if you're a man, you got a manicure, then I don't know. But, <laughs> but you go, boy. I don't, I don't even know what to tell you. But I, I've never had a manicure or anything like that. But I would say, late, as of late, my hands are definitely built better for preaching the word. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. But have, have you ever thought about this, though, how your hands and your soul are so closely connected? Like, I'll give you some examples. Like, if you ever built something, if you ever built something with your hands, when you build something, you accomplish that, you finish that. Man, there, there, you get some pride about that. Like, some pride wells up when you've, you've built something, you accomplished something. If you've ever built a house or you built a fence or anything like that, like, there's nothing like getting down and, and just stepping back and looking at it like, yeah, I did that. Uh, one summer while I was in Bible school, I worked for a window installation company down in San Antonio. And, and I know I just want to promise you, installing windows in San Antonio, Texas during the summer, 
that is not the job you want to have. It's like 100 degrees, 100% humidity. That's where Satan hang, hangs out in the summertime. And, uh, and so, but I, I'm installing windows like on these big storefronts and shopping centers and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I remember like one of the first times that my wife, Cody, we went down to San Antonio uh, together. And I remember like driving by like these, these big shopping centers and stuff where I install all the windows. I was like, I installed the windows on that shopping center. And she didn't care, like, at all. She's like, okay, great. I'm like, no, look, they're there still. They didn't break. Like, they, I did a good job with my hands. Or your nerves. Think about that. You get nervous, or if you have fear, your hands will start responding. Your hands might start sweating a little bit. Or shaking, maybe. Some of y'all, you don't like plane rides or any kind of turbulence or, or roller coasters. Man, if you want the time of your life, if you ever get a chance to go on a roller coaster with Cody Bennett, it is, it is just, it is something else. It is so fun. And the reason why it is fun is because uh, you have never heard anybody pray in tongues louder than Cody Bennett when she is on a roller coaster. Like the whole roller coaster. And the funny thing is, most of the people around her don't even know what's going on. They're like... Either that lady's crazy. They're like, man, where are you from? And we're like, the Middle East, obviously. I mean, look at her. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, your, your hands will respond around fear, emotions, certainly. Especially anger or love. You're angry. How many of y'all know your hands get involved a little bit when you're angry? Like, there, nothing will get me in my flesh quicker. I've shared this before. Nothing will get me in my flesh quicker than hitting my head on something, Right? But the first thing that gets involved after I hit my head and my hands, because I'm rubbing my head like that hurt. And I also want to punch whatever I hit my head on. My hands get involved. But love, certainly. Y'all ever wonder why, and some of y'all probably know this, do you know why we wear our, our, our ring, our wedding ring on the finger that we wear it on? It's because the Greeks believed that that finger was the most connected part of your body to your heart. That's why we wear it on that that finger. I remember the first time I held hands with Cody. Woo! Man, I thought like my heart was going to explode. Like, man, it just, your hands are connected to so much of who you are. In communication, how many of y'all know your hands can communicate some stuff? Did you know your hands communicate 100 times further than your face can? And some of you are like, you never see my wife angry. <laughs> it's like, it'll communicate a long ways. Some people, if you grab their hands, they'll be quiet. And Cody does that with me all the time. She knows I'm getting ready to say something stupid. She'll grab my hand, try to get me to be quiet. We hold hands a lot in my house. A lot. There's over 30 emojis with hand motions. Praying hands, fist bumps, stop, wave, come here. Peace sign. But I just want to coach you on this real quick. I want to help you all out with something, okay? There is a big difference between this and this. I just want to tell you, because a lot of y'all didn't know this. In Great Britain, okay, or Australia, this is the equivalent of you flipping somebody off. So it's funny because I have friends that are British or Australian. They'd be like, bro, a lot of your friends are rude. <laughs> like every picture on Instagram, they're like, hey, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like that. 
Can you imagine if every picture you took, you were like, ah, good to see you. Some of y'all, you do do that. I'm glad you're here at church. Welcome. We'll pray for you as soon as the service is done. We use our hands to communicate. So in this family series, I want to talk to you about the strength of your hands. But what I mean by that is really how your hands represent your spiritual strength, too. Throughout the word of God, he uses hands as imagery to speak about the strength of your spirit, the strength of who you are spiritually speaking. And it's kind of like the battery symbol on your phone. Like if you look at your phone right now, you look at that battery symbol, you know how much power you have left. And God would look at that the same way he would with your spirit man. So throughout the word, he would talk about that. He would say things like, you have feeble hands or withered hands or hands that hang down or tired hands. Or he would say things like, you have strong hands or, or hands ready for battle. And he would use that as imagery of who we are in here. Honestly, I see a lot of families trying to build a strong home with hands that are far too weak in some pretty important areas. And, and it really, it does involve their physical hands, but it also involves their spiritual strength. And I think sometimes the reason why that is is because of just a lack of wisdom. Or, or it's not necessarily a lack of wisdom, but it's a lack of applied wisdom. Like they've been given a lot of wisdom, but they're just not applying the wisdom that they've been given. That may be the case. A lot of times that I see is it's just exhaustion. The reason why they're weak around different spiritual areas of their life, they have weak or withered hands, is because they are too busy. Their schedules are completely full. They're running all over the place. Sometimes it's because they're reaping the consequences of sin. They don't, they've lost innocence, and because of that, they've lost moral authority to lead well. That can happen. Sometimes I see that they're weak because they don't have anybody else's hands helping them. In other words, they don't have biblical community. They're just trying to do it on their own. Just trying to live life. It's just, just us. It's just me and God. Which sounds super spiritual. But it's also a setup. Because when you don't have biblical community around you, you're vulnerable. You can be really weak in that place. The Bible says that one time Jonathan came to David and he encouraged him in the Lord. And because he encouraged him in the Lord, it strengthened his hands for battle. All of us need somebody like that in our life. That when we're feeling discouraged, they come along and they encourage us so that we can be strong. I want to read a couple scriptures about this. Isaiah 35, 3 says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. The Good News Translation says, give strength to hands that are tired. Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So obviously, we know that there are physical miracles that happen throughout the word. But so many of these scriptures, it's, it's drawing this correlation between your hands, weakness in your hands, and weakness in your soul. So I want to go to the main text. There's a story in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus physically heals a withered hand, but he's dealing with the spiritual dynamic 
in the midst of that. So Mark chapter 3, starting verse 1, says this. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him. This is the Pharisees who are doing this. They watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up and in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save a life or to do or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. So I think that there are some areas of your life right now uh, that you've been hiding some areas in your family, some areas in your, in, in your home. And here's the thing. This, it doesn't say that his hand was dead. It just said that it was shriveled and weak. And there may be some areas that are dead, but more than likely, they're not dead. They're just not strong. You haven't exercised them. You haven't been using them. And so they've gotten shriveled. And I want to talk about a couple of those things, some things that you can strengthen. First of all, strengthen your hands of affection. Strengthen your hands of affection. So when somebody gets arthritis in their joints, and that certainly could have been the case of the man in this story. It may have been arthritis. Arthritis is caused by a lack, a lack of synovial fluid in your joints. So synovial fluid helps your joints move. It's like oil in your joints. Without it, it's painful. Joints can lock up. If you've ever had arthritis in anything, it's very painful. Affection in your home with your family is like the synovial fluid of the home. It's the thing that helps things move and stay healthy. But I find that there are a lot of homes running a couple courts low on this right now. They don't have healthy affection in their home. And I want to talk about some ways that you show affection because a lot of us, we may just really narrow that down of what affection is. Uh, but one of the ways that you show affection and one of the ways that I feel that is lacking significantly in our country and culture is honor. One of the ways that you show affection for people is you honor people. What does it mean to honor someone? It simply means you esteem them higher than yourself. It simply means you say, you're more important. Your needs are more important than mine. And I think there needs to be a lot more honor, honor among siblings and homes. I mean, I'm trying to get my kids to understand it all the time. Like, look, honor your brother, honor your sister. Because here's the thing. One thing that you'll learn is when you honor people, that's when God lifts you up. When you honor other people, when you esteem other people and their needs higher than your own, that's when you really receive the favor of God on your life. That's when you get peace that transcends understanding. That's when you get joy unspeakable. It is actually a blast living in a place where you esteem others higher than yourself. Honor is one of the ways I think we should show affection. I think being proud of each other is important. And I think saying that, but I'm making an adjustment in my own life with this. I want to throw this out there for your consideration. I feel like I tell my kids, I tell my family, I'm proud of them a lot. Okay? But one of the things I'm realizing is I'm, I only tell them I'm proud of them when they do something that I think is good. 
or great. And I think there could be a problem in that. Because I don't want them to think that the only time I'm proud of them is when they do something like that. I want them to know I'm proud of them because of who they are. Because the fact of the matter is, you know this if you're raising kids, they're not always doing stuff you're proud of. And there can be really long seasons when they're doing the opposite. But I think that in those seasons, it's just as important that they hear the people that are supposed to love them continue to tell them, I'm proud of who you are, not just what you do. And so, so one of the things that, that I'm trying to do with my kids, like when they, they, they bring something home from school or, or they, you know, they, they do something they're, they're proud of, I'll try to say, I'm really happy for you. That's amazing. I'm glad that that happened for you. And it's not that I'll never tell them I'm proud of them when they do that kind of stuff, but I want them to know I'm proud of you because of who you are. The reason why that's important is because that's exactly how God sees you. God is proud of who you are. See, because God always sees you for your potential. He doesn't see you for where you may currently be or where you've been in the past. He always sees you for who he created you to be in, like, in, in, in the light in light of who his son is, in the light of what his son did for you on the cross. That's how, that's how God is, is choosing to view you. And he'll, so he'll always be proud that he created you with a purpose. So being proud, I think just be, have an acceptance, accepting each other. Let, let there be closeness and proximity. Of course, intimacy is incredibly important, especially intimacy between a husband and wife. We talked about that last week. But affection is like the body language of grace and mercy. It's the body language of grace and mercy. How many of y'all would say you need a little more mercy in your life? Anybody in the house? Okay, seven of you, the rest of you, we're just so honored that we could be in your presence today. Wow. Come on, we all need more of God's mercy, more of his grace. We do, we need it. Okay, well, this, this affection, these things, it's a demonstration of that grace and mercy. Well, what that means is, it's not when people deserve it. It's not when we feel like it. It's because of who Christ is in us that we do it. But the father did this for the prodigal when he returned home. The father, it says in the word, he, he threw his arms around his son and he kissed him. He showed affection that demonstrated grace and mercy. You see this with Jesus all the time. Jesus would touch what culture, especially at that time, would say was unclean. Jesus would touch lepers. That was a big no-no. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. I actually went to a leper colony. Crazy that these even exist. And this was a long time ago, so it may not exist now. I was in Nepal, and they had a community of people that had leprosy that they had put all off by themselves, isolated, because there was this irrational, logical fear that they could spread it to everybody else. And it was crazy because when you're in this place, it affects your extremities. And so a lot of people had lost fingers or other appendages or their nose or ears. And it was tough to look at. But what was so crazy is when we'd go in there and we'd put our hands on their shoulders or we'd go and, and hold those hands that were missing fingers to pray with them, what would happen in their eyes? And they would just start crying and bawling because, because people wouldn't normally touch them. And that's, that's what Jesus would do with people. Here's the thing, though. Jesus never had to touch anybody to heal them. Jesus can touch with a word. Jesus' shadow could heal people. Jesus' clothes healed people. 
But Jesus understood this connection between touching and people's hearts. So he showed that affection. Honestly, this was a massive problem for the church universally during COVID. Like when we had to be online, this was a problem because there wasn't enough affection. The word clearly says there needs to be brotherly love. There needs to be sisterly love between the body of Christ. It says don't forsake the gathering of the saints. And that's not because don't forsake coming together and doing religious stuff. No, don't forsake it because you are created to be connected to each other. You're, connect, you're created to show and to receive this affection between you. And when, you, when we weren't doing that, man, it created some major issues. And some of you, you're still dealing with some of that in your life right now. You still feel some of that disconnection. The Bible's clear that we need that. In your home especially, a strong hand of affection will bring healing and restoration and unity. And it's like it builds walls that Satan can't climb to try to hurt your family. But here's the other thing. If you show me somebody who is starving for affection, that is somebody that is very vulnerable to every attack of the enemy. And I find that there's a lot of people that are starving for affection, but they may not understand how to receive it in a healthy way. And if they're starving for affection, I promise you this, Satan will make sure and bring somebody to them, will give it to them, but it will create a counterfeit of what God intended for them to have. We receive affection from Jesus and we give it away. And it's not conditional. It's not something that people need to earn from us. We should give it because we've received it. The fact is, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've received affection from your heavenly Father. And we should give it away. Also, you need to strengthen your hands of prayer and worship. Strengthen your hands of prayer and worship. I want to look at how Jesus would pray. You know, in, in Hebrews 5, 7, it says that he prayed with great cries and fervency. Okay, so I don't. I, I had this picture of what, what it looked like when Jesus would pray. Because the word said that, that Jesus would wake early in the morning and he would go out on his own into solitude and he would pray. Okay, but this is kind of like how, how you might picture it. I know I've pictured it this way. It's like Jesus would get up and he would go and get some bird feed and some sunflower seeds and put it in his pockets. And then he would walk out and all the woodland creatures would come to him and he would feed them from his hand. And then at some point or another, there would be like a small stack of smooth rocks with a beam of light coming down on it. And that's where Jesus would go and, and kneel and do a Bethmore study and whisper sweet prayers to his heavenly father. Hmm. No, that's not how Jesus prayed. I'm not saying that's not. He might have prayed that way sometimes, except for the whole Bethmore feeding all the animals thing. But but. When Jesus would draw into solitude, the reason why he would get by himself is because when Jesus prayed, he disturbed everything around him. When Jesus prayed, he disturbed the enemy's plan. When Jesus prayed, he prayed with some power. He prayed with some conviction. And he was long-winded too. And you know what? I'm thankful that Jesus prays that way because he still prays that way for me right now. He still prays that way for you. 
I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to have somebody who is long-winded and powerful and convicted and is willing to raise their voice towards the enemy and his plans and to speak faith and truth and hope into me. Because we need that. And you need a little bit of that in your home too. You need to have a culture of prayer in your home. We pray a lot together as a family. I pray over each one of my kids before they get out of the car in the morning to go to school. We pray over meals. We pray before bedtime. We pray. We pray. And you know what? It isn't always easy. My kids don't always want to pray. They don't always want to hear it. I know some of y'all have that misconception. Like you think because I'm a pastor, my kids are like, oh, let us go before the Lord and with supplication and prayers, Father. This is our favorite time of every day. Please bring us a good word and we will take notes until our hands hurt. Like that doesn't, that doesn't happen, all right? That doesn't happen. It's not always easy and it's, it's not always convenient. But I, but I know this. I know that the prayers that we have spoken in faith will not return void. I know that it is building a foundation in our kids. And I know this. I know that even if they're not always listening when I'm praying over them, the enemy's listening and I want to let him know who they belong to. I want to let them know. I want to let him know where their identity, where their security, where their confidence, where all that is going to come from. It's going to come from Jesus. It's going to come from his word. And you got to have some of these. So I'd encourage you with this. Pray awkward prayers. Pray awkward prayers. What do you got to lose? Who are you praying to? The people you're worried about judging your prayer, you're praying to the creator of the universe. Because I promise you this, the creator of the universe, he can handle awkward. He can handle awkward. Just read the Bible. There's all kinds of awkward up in the Bible. God can handle it. But talk to him. Talk to him. He is not worried about the words. He's not worried about the tone. He's not worried about the sophistication of your prayer. He wants your heart and all of it. And if the words that are coming out of your mouth may not be clearly or completely conveying what's happening in your heart or in your head, he knows what's in there. But he wants to hear his kid have some faith that he can move. So pray. Pray awkward prayers. Pray inconvenient prayers. Like pray when when it's not always convenient to pray. A couple days ago, I was out playing golf with a guy in our life group. And in the middle of the round, I got a text from somebody else in our church said, hey, we just had to take a family member to the hospital. They're having some heart issues. Will you pray for them? Okay. So I do what a lot of us did. I'm praying. But you know what I did next that I don't know that a lot of us do? I prayed. I stopped. I said, hey, man, if you don't mind, we got somebody in our church, their family member. I got their name. We need to pray for him. Like, right now? We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray. Imagine what would happen in the spiritual climate of our community, of our city, of our state, and our nation if unbelievers were constantly seeing believers stopping and praying for other people. Imagine what would happen. I mean, I'm just telling you, if, if every time somebody commented on a Facebook post, praying now, if that was actually happening, I'm telling you, we would kick the devil's teeth in every day. I mean, we would really break down some strongholds. And I'm not saying that you don't, but let's just be honest. 
I haven't always. I haven't. And a comment saying I'm praying is not the same thing as me stopping and praying. Right then. Pray when it's inconvenient. Like if, if you wake up in the middle of the night, what I've learned is this. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I'll have a hard time going back to sleep, more times than not, that's God saying, I want to talk to you. And I want you to talk to me. Okay? I promise you this. If you wake up anxious, fearful, thinking about everything that's going on the next day, the best thing you can do is start praying. Because you thinking about it is not going to fix it. Especially in the middle of the night. You worrying about it is not going to solve that problem. But if you will bring all that to the Lord, he can move. He can change things. He can supernaturally fix things. But if nothing else, you need to get your peace back. You need to get your joy back. And that won't happen unless you pray. Even if it's the middle of the night. My wife is really good about this. It's been a while, but from time to time, our kids will have a bad dream or whatever, and they'll come to our room. I want to let you know right now, they don't come to my side of the bed. They just don't. And it's probably because when I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that nice in the middle of the night. I'm just not. I'm just like, they come to my side, go to bed. But yeah, I've had a bad, I don't care, go to bed. You know, I'm just, I don't have a lot. It's, mercy is not one of my strongest spiritual gifts, okay? And, and so they'll, they'll come over to, so they know. They'll go right over to Cody's. Every time they go right over to Cody's side of the bed, and, and then she'll pray for it. But one time Cody's like, James, I really hope our, our kids' theology is not being built upon the content of my prayers when they come to me at night. I'm like, oh, babe, whatever. You are anointed. You are powerful. You're a mighty woman of God. I'm sure whatever you pray, you know, is, it's great. But the next time a kid came in, I listened. And I'll just say that it encouraged my prayer life a little more too. <laughs> I was like, oh God, God, somehow by your spirit, create a spiritual filter that somehow, because when you're like half, like, it's like, I can tell what she's been dreaming about. She's like, God, would you just help horse? Riding in the Lord, bless, fix heart. You love them, Lord. Amen, go to bed. <laughs> it's like, like, what just happened? I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I love? I love that my kids know if they wake up and there's fear, they know they need prayer. And, and here's the thing. None of my kids have ever been like, Mom, that was not a very good prayer. Will you start again? Please, could you please throw in like a thee and a thou a little bit? Like some, some old King James would be really great too. That would feel way more spiritual. You could kind of change your voice a little bit too. That would be awesome. No. No. The fact of the matter is, they know that when they talk, and when someone talks to the Heavenly Father on their behalf, it helps them. It helps them. Strengthen your hands of prayer and worship. First Timothy 2 8 says this, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray. Lift up holy hands. You know, hands are very connected around prayer. They're very connected around prayer. One of the reasons why we have our prayer team up here is because when people come down, they're going to lay hands on people. Why? Because that physical touch connects people. It's connected to their hearts, connected to their faith. Now, I don't always like this. Like, if you, you're raised in churches like me, I hated those times when you be at a church meeting or something like that, especially with men. I hated that. 
There'd be a bunch of men, and we'd all gather up, and they're like, all right, if everybody just grab a hand. I'm like, oh, man. It's like, especially me, because I have, anybody else in the house have a little bit of clammy hands every once in a while? That's me. Like, I got a little bit of clammy. I don't want people holding my hands. Like, they come hold my hand, I'm like, hurry, hold it, pray, quick. It's not going to stay dry long. I hated that. And if you were around that, it's like, you, you know how it went. Like, when it was your turn, the guy pray next to you, when it was your turn, squeeze, squeeze. It's like, all right, now it's my turn. Now it's your turn, squeeze. Okay, it's just weird. Ugh, I don't like it. I think that's some of the reason why some people don't go to life groups. See, they don't know how they were. They're like, I know what's going to happen. I've got to go to a life group. I'm going to go to a life group, and at some point or another, we're going to circle up in a circle, and I'm going to hold some weirdo's hand for way longer than I would ever even want to hold my spouse's hand. I'm not going to do it. And if we have life groups like that, don't do that, please. Okay? Maybe the ladies, you're fine with that, but don't do that to a dude, please. I'm way off track, but, but I still feel like right in step with the Holy Spirit on this. So strengthen your hands for service. Strengthen your hands for service. In Esther 4.14, it says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Okay, so a little bit of context. Esther was like the George Jefferson 2,000 years ago. Okay, she was moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky. But, but... But why? Why did God elevate her to royalty? It was because God had a strategic position during a strategic time to fulfill a strategic purpose. And I believe that God has that same thing for every single one of us. And what it says in there is, look, if you don't step up, God will still fulfill his plan and purpose, but you will miss out. And it will affect you and it will affect your family. But basically what God had ordained Esther for is to serve his purpose. And that purpose was a way bigger agenda or higher stake than just a better house or a better wardrobe or better travel or a bigger house or a better boat. God had an agenda for her to serve. And here's the thing. She almost missed it. She almost missed it. But have you ever thought that there is a divine reason why promotion keeps coming your way? Like there is a bigger picture, a reason behind the open doors and positional changes that keep happening in your life? I think it's because God is trying to position you to serve an eternal purpose, and that'll be through serving. You know, in every sport, uh, that involves serving, okay? Like, I, I'm, I'm mediocre at best at most sports. Uh, I did play junior Olympic volleyball for a year when I was in high school, okay? And I was not the tallest guy there. I wasn't the best hitter. I was a decent passer, but I had a really, really good serve. And so they put me in the rotation because they knew if we can, especially if we're coming to the end of the game and we're down, uh, you know, five, six points, they're like, dude, if we can get James in that rotation, his service is going to catch us up and we can win the game, okay? Uh, I wasn't that great at it. So here's the deal. 
on a lot of games like that, ping pong is the same thing. Like you can, you can talk all kinds of smoke. You, you can say how good you are. But at the end of the day, you can't serve, you ain't going to win. You ain't going to win. I, I try to learn tennis. A friend of mine, Chris, he tried to coach me on how to play a little bit of tennis. But it's so complicated. There's so many pieces to tennis. Like I didn't realize how complicated it was. Like I was like, can't we just go and hit the ball across the net? Like how hard does this have to be? But he's trying to teach me how to do each one of these strokes, right? And, but at one point or another, I'm like, I just want a volley. Can we just play? And he's like, okay, I'll serve to you. And he told me where he was going to serve, where the ball was going to hit. And when he served it to that spot, I could not get a racket on it. He's like, there's a building block. And until you learn how to move your feet and all that, but at the end of the day, the truth is this, you cannot win if you don't know how to serve. Okay, so some of you are like, what in the world is this dude talking about? Here's where it ties in. In your life, you will not be able to control every ball and situation that's been hit at you, but the one thing that you can always control is how you serve. The one part of every one of those games, there's a lot of things in, in tennis or volleyball, there's a lot of variables that you can't control and you just try to manage those variables and hopefully win enough points to win the game. But the one thing you control in every one of those situations is the serve. You can control that. And I just want to encourage you. You can't control everything that's happening around your family. You can't control that wayward kid. You can't control how every relationship is happening between you and your spouse or anyone else. But the one thing that you can always control is how much you serve people. You can always control that. And when you understand that, and when you have a culture of serving in your home, you are getting that much closer to the character of Christ who came not to be served, but to serve. The number one title that Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he had was a servant, more than anything. And he was the name that is above every name. All authority was given to him. But you know what? That was given to him by God the Father. You know what position he took? Servant. That's what he did. He just served people. I think it's very important that your home and the people that are in your home and especially your kids are able to see the big picture of what matters most. And what matters most is eternity. They need to see hands that serve. People, hands that serve the hurting, serve the poor, serve the lost, and serve the body of Christ, that serve the church. We need to strengthen those hands because I believe God has purposed you, gifted you, and equipped you for such a time as this. In whatever area, whatever your work is, whatever your skill set is, whatever your career is, for such a time as this. But the way that you're going to fulfill it, by taking on the position of serving people. And here's what I want to tell you. Serving people is a blast. Because when it's not about you and it's about other people, you feel God smiling on you. You feel his favor. You feel his blessing. You feel fulfillment when you serve somebody. There's this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15 says, you know that the household of Stephanus was the first converse in Achaia, I think that's how you say that. They have, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people, to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. So this is powerful because it's like basically these people got, served, got saved and then they committed themselves, devoted themselves to serving God's purpose, to serving the Lord's people. So I was thinking about like when I read this verse, who, who are some people that I think about that have devoted themselves to serving? I think about families like the Flugers, Matt and Nikki. Who, who serve back in Kid Life, but they serve in a lot of different areas of our church. I think about, I think about the Holtz, Brooke and, and, uh, Brooke and Rob Holt. They serve in so many different areas of our church. Uh, Liz and Sean Coker, another uh, strong family. But I, I think about the Becca Biddles and, and the Jennifer Rushes. And the truth is we have over 200 people to help us pull off services every weekend. But there are people that show up here earlier than everybody else to get God's house ready. But they don't just serve here, they serve outside of these four walls. They're serving in our community. These are people that have full-time jobs, they got families, I promise you, they are just as busy as anybody else, but they prioritize the fact that they know that their number one purpose is to build the kingdom of God and to serve an eternal purpose, so they serve. And they never ask for anything. I think about Dustin back here, he's helping with production. He's here all the time. Serving, just behind the scenes. And the truth is, everybody I just mentioned, they don't want me to mention them. In fact, they're uncomfortable. They're gonna be mad at me because I mentioned them. And that's the quality of a good servant. They don't do it for the accolades. They could care less if I ever say that I notice. They're not doing it for me. They're not doing it for New Life Church. They're doing it for the kingdom. But here was a very convicting question that I asked myself. If somebody made a list thinking about this verse, would my name be on it? Because at the end of the day, if I'm not serving, there's a part of being like Christ that I am missing. I'm missing it. Let's go back to this story in Mark 3. First of all, Jesus says, stand up. Stand up. I'm going to ask us all to do that right. Let's all stand up. All rise. <laughs> Flashback. PTSDs for some. And then he says, stretch out your hand. I want you to close your eyes. I, I, I just want symbolically, I want you to put your hands out in front of you. I want you to think about this area of your life where you are weak and withered. Maybe it's around affection. And maybe it's because you've never had that given to you in a healthy way. That's a broken piece inside of you. Maybe it is around prayer. Maybe it's around worship. Maybe it's that you've just gotten so busy, so driven and so many different things that you, you don't, have any opportunities and you don't look for opportunities. It's not in you to find opportunities to, to serve. I don't know what it is that's weak inside of you. But the next thing that Jesus says is he says, stretch it out. In other words, you got to expose that thing. And I'm sure this man, if he had to tell him to, to reach it out, I'm sure there was a part of this man. It's like, man, I don't want people to see this thing that's weak and broken. 
And the truth is this. At some point or another, I hope every person in this place finds a group of people that they can trust that no matter what is weak, no matter how broken it is, you have people that you can expose in front of so that it can be healed and restrengthened and restored. But I want you right now just to bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Expose it. And Father God, I don't know what it is, but you do. You know exactly what it is. And right now, in faith, the demonstration of our hands, with faith in our hearts, we ask Jesus, would you please heal what is withered? Would you heal what is weak? Would you heal what is shriveled up in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids? Would you strengthen our feeble hands, Father God? Would you heal what the enemy has tried so desperately to wound? God, wherever there is shame, let there be truth and freedom. We just bring them to you, God. Would you move? Would you move, Father? And put your hands down. Just stay in an attitude of prayer. Keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. Every week I give an opportunity for salvation. I think there may have been less than a handful of times that I haven't. Why is it important? Well, because it's eternity. It's eternity. The reason why you were created is to have relationship with your Father God. That's why you're created. And so if you're here and you don't have that, you feel separated, distant from that, I want to give you an opportunity. Yeah, and again, you know what? It's, it's going to involve your hand. It's going to involve you just saying, just admitting, I need him. I need him. Not because that hand is what gets you saved. It's, it's because it is connected to your heart. It's connected to your soul, your spirit. And sometimes you need that physical act of your free will for your own faith to defeat the plan of the enemy. If you're here and you just feel that you're totally separate away from God, even if you've been to church your whole life, you've put the title of Christian, but if you're really honest, you have no confidence about how much he loves you, that he's got a plan and a purpose for you, that he paid the price for your sin. So if you're here and you know that you need him, there's Christians around you and they're praying for you right now, even if they don't know you by name, they're praying for you. But if you know you need to surrender your life to Jesus, maybe rededicate your life to him. You've been away from him. You need to come back to him. I want you to put your hand right now across this room. Do it with some boldness. And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down, but you say, I need Jesus. I'm away from him. I got you, bro. Yes, sir. I got you here in the front. Anyone else? I'm away from Jesus. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. I'm tired of doing this on my own. The demonstration of my faith. I admit it's me. 
Anyone else? I need him. Got you. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I got you, bro. I got you. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I'm ready to make him my Lord and Savior. Okay. Father God, I thank you for every hand that's raised. Maybe the some that didn't get raised for whatever reason. You know their heart. You know their heart. But Lord, we come before you. All of us were broken. All of us need you. But I thank you that that a few folks in here, are, they're, they're realizing and they're recognizing and they're calling on you. And I thank you, Lord, that you're gonna meet them right where they're at. You've always loved them. You've always wanted a relationship with them. So if you raise your hand, I wanna encourage you, you should go public with your faith. You should tell people about it. But you can make a, a private, personal decision right there in your chair. And I want you just to talk to the Lord. And you can say something like this. You just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe that you paid the price for my sin when you died on the cross. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I also believe that you rose from the grave. You came back to life, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating my sin. So not only can I be forgiven of my sin, but I never again have to be a slave to my sin. I can walk in freedom and I want that. I thank you that one day I'm gonna spend eternity with you, but I don't wanna wait for that day to fulfill my purpose now. Would you lead me? Would you lead me? Would you help me by your spirit? I wanna understand what your word says about me. I wanna be connected to the body of Christ so that I can grow and be encouraged and challenged. And I know that I can't do that if I'm trying to be in control of my life. So I repent, I stop, I turn away from doing my own thing or living for the world, I wanna live for you. I turn towards you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for affirming me, for showing the affection that you showed to me. I give my life to you. And Father, I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, you continue to strengthen, strengthen the hands of our families, of our homes, for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen.